Welcome, welcome to Game Over Montreal. We're going straight to the split screen on this one because I'm tired. Julian McKenzie's here. This stream probably won't die like the last one. We'll see. It's hard, isn't it, Julian? It's a tough gig. It's difficult, man. Uh, my earphones were messing up and I wasn't able to hear Omar. And then when I tried to configure it so that everyone could hear Omar and, and Paul Campbell, that was the first time I ever got to see like Paul Campbell over like any type of connection or anything. And I was actually looking forward to talking to him. Omar, I, I talked to him like once a week. That's okay. The, the novelty <laughs> fades, I guess. I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, I was kind of disappointed it didn't work out. But uh, I thought I would have reacted a lot worse, but I... I don't know, just working in TV and seeing stuff go wrong. I, I guess I that's why I didn't panic as much as I did. But uh, I am disappointed that it didn't work out. Considering the fact that that game was actually, uh, there was a lot to talk about. And there was so much, so many good things that came out of that game. And we get to talk about this one where uh, not as much. Not <laughs> yeah, as much. This is the one where things stay, stay going. And unfortunately, uh, if you can't hear it, both Julian and I are a little bit under the weather right now. Not sure how Julian's doing, but I got a positive COVID case going on over here, so I'm tired as hell. It's probably going to be a short one, so we'll get... I mean, good thing it's going to be a short one because there's not a lot to talk about with this game. Uh, maybe we'll hit on the last game a little bit, and you can tell me about it. Exciting to see it, Julian, but uh, I, I think that uh, you look at the roster that they're icing, and I will say the effort is decent, you know, but they're just so overmatched out there. They've got so many guys missing. It's really tough. You know, they couldn't get anything really going today outside of the first period where they had a couple of good chances. Didn't really put much uh, at anti-Ranta. Just a, a tough one. And honestly, the story for them continues to be lack of offense and special teams. Like, the special teams oh, are just man. terrible. And I'm, I'm not judging them that harshly just because there's too many guys out. We already know what this team is. It's not a great team. But... Uh, it's tough to watch, man. It is uh, not great hockey right now. That's what's so disappointing about tonight's game compared to Tuesday night's game, because the roster that the Canadians put out on Tuesday night, uh, yes, they had Jonathan Drouet. Yeah, they had Brennan Gallagher for a whole game, but they essentially just had a lot of young guys, a lot of guys who started the year in the American Hockey League uh, in the lineup, and they still put up a fight. They were not perfect defensively. But they still put up goals and they brought an effort. Like I pointed it out on, on Twitter tonight, but in both of those games, uh, albeit they had fewer shots on target uh, to start off tonight, but they found themselves in a position to start off the game where they found a way to keep their opposition off the shot sheet, like for at least seven to eight minutes in both of those games. And say what you want about the Tampa roster, uh, the fact they don't have Andre Vasilevsky, and they were down to the like third or fourth goalie. That's the little team that had Steven Stamkos, Andre Palat, Victor Hedman, Alex Kalorn. By the way, Alex Kalorn in that game seems like every time the Canadians had a power play, he found a way, shorthanded, to take the puck, show off his speed, get a chance on it, or at least find a way to put the puck in the uh, in in their own offensive zone. Like it, their their special teams have been bad all week. The power play, the shorthanded, like they, they have not been good. That's been the weakest thing about them. Uh, and, and Arpin Basu, my colleague at The Athletic, made a good point today that, uh, you know, they were, if you if you take out the special teams today in particular, it was a 0-0 game. 
they found a way to handle them at five on five. If they took fewer penalties, they might have found themselves in a position where the score might've been less. Maybe they get themselves a a goal near the end. Who knows? Uh, So the fact that the roster is what it is, didn't help. The fact that their special teams have looked horrendous, awful, poor, awful. If you want to put it that way and combine those two words that that essentially killed them uh, tonight against the Carolina hurricanes, which comes as a big disappointment considering the fact that they were seconds away from a, a, a win over the lightning, which would have been their first winning streak of the year. And now they find themselves in a position where they're, they're down bad, losing those back-to-back games. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. I mean, it's kind of funny that Corey Perry was the one to score it. You know, I, I believe again, he one, yeah, he did it the last game too. Like to just drive the dagger, you know, and it's kind of funny. Like I watched the first game against the lightning. Didn't get to watch the second one, but just talking to people, David Savard had two great games against the lightning, like really got up for those games. So clearly he wanted to show up against his former team. Uh, a lot of other guys did too. Great efforts in both those lightning games. But uh, the bad news just keeps coming for the Montreal Canadiens. Brendan Gallagher's hurting this one. Uh, midway through the second period, didn't come back. We don't know the severity yet, but second game back for Gallagher after an injury and the COVID protocol. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. Like, Jeez. it just it doesn't stop this war of attrition that the Habs are fighting this year. It is a brutal, brutal season. Uh, it's just... I was looking through social media as the game was going on because, like, right, it wasn't very much to watch in the third period, you know. Uh, and I came across a tweet from Guillaume LeFrancois, who's a great colleague, great reporter. And uh, he yeah, said that sure. after that Gallagher has those great quizzes, yes, fantastic quizzes and fantastic follow, great guy. Um, he pointed out that with Gallagher out of the lineup, this team has an $18.9 million cap hit. That's like what? No way! (laughs) This team, this is the worst. This is the worst Canadians team I've ever seen in my life, dog. This is the worst. The crazy thing is, the Canadians, like their actual roster, is the highest cap hit in the whole league. Because Shea Weber's out, right? And like that LTIR LTIR counts. So it's like all that money on injured reserve and COVID protocol. It's just unfathomable how much is out right now you know and i gotta give it to the kids who are pushing and and trying things and you know i've seen a lot of criticism of guys like nick suzuki kind of like dogging it online changes changes and stuff dude's playing 25 minutes a night he's the only guy who's been in like every single game like he's the only guy they count on to make things happen offensively and defensively every single night. Nick, you can dog it a little bit on the line. It's just like, I don't care. Like, I know it's a I bad habit, about but this. still. I got asked about this this morning on TSN 690, whether or not people should be concerned with Nick Suzuki's play. And if you asked me this, maybe like two, maybe like a month ago, I would have been like, yeah, of course you're going. How many games without putting up points or scoring goals? I think they were saying, I'm trying to remember how many they said in the TSN broadcast. I'm not going to try to guess how many games it's been since he hasn't since he scored a goal, but it's been a while. But the more I think about it with Nick Suzuki, and I, I because I'm under the weather, I think it affected my analysis a little bit. I didn't focus on it as much as I would have liked. But I'm curious how much the lack of production offensively for Nick Suzuki 
has to do with the fact that he's got more of a focus on his defensive responsibilities this year. Uh, I think of when Christian Dvorak was acquired by the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, my colleague Marc-Antoine Godin wrote an article about uh, how he was going up against some of the best defensive, the best players while playing in the Western Conference in Arizona. And as a result, he kind of had to sacrifice his offense in order to try to make it work. It doesn't mean the Arizona Coyotes were world beaters by any stretch of the imagination, but someone's got to take those minutes against Anze Kopitar when the, when the opportunity comes. And I'm wondering, because we've seen it already against the, the Colorado Avalanche. I think of that game in particular a lot, but Nick Suzuki was tasked to go up against Nathan McKinnon. I know some people are going to say, oh, well, Nathan McKinnon isn't the greatest at faceoffs. Nick Suzuki isn't the greatest at faceoffs either. And that's still a top three player in the National Hockey League that um, Dominic Ducharme felt that, you know what, he has to go up against this guy. I wonder, and I think it's something that maybe people should be paying attention to a little bit more and just kind of wondering before we, we cast more judgment on Nick Suzuki, how much does his lack of production have to do with the fact that Essentially, he has to kind of go up against the other team's best players every night because of the way the team looks as well. You're not going to get much offensive production from him. And unfortunately, his linemates aren't necessarily going to be able to provide that much either. Yeah. And, you know, the linemates haven't been that great either. I think that's the big, no. the big factor as well. You know, like with a guy like Suzuki, who has kind of been forced since he entered the league to be very focused on defensive play because of how much the Canadians relied on him. And now without a traditional first line center, he's their matchup guy and their top offense guy. It's a lot to ask from a kid. So, you know, I, I think he's doing the best with the tools that he has and the players that he has and the way that this season is gone. He's just not a guy that I would focus criticism on at this point. Uh, it's kind of the same deal as like the healthy regular defensemen that are still back there, right? Like, David Savard, Alex Romanov, I would not be chewing them out right now, even for bad defensive miscues, because they're just playing in roles that they shouldn't be playing in. You know, Brett Kulak, same thing. And we could argue Kale Clegg, same thing, should be playing like third pair sheltered minutes to try to get his confidence up and build his skills out a little bit, round his game out. Uh, update on Gallagher, uh, Dominique Ducharme says via our friend Eric Angles, that Gallagher has a lower body injury and will be day-to-day. So that's good news. Day-to-day is not you know, wrist surgery or anything, you know, like, uh, or he didn't get his hand blown up again. So that's good, but still bad luck for Brendan Gallagher two games back. And he's already out of the lineup again. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's hard to really wrap your brain around how bad this season has gone for the Montreal Canadians, but then, Hey, the world juniors got canceled altogether as well. So that was, uh, oh, man. it's been, it's been a rough that. week for hockey, man. Yeah, man. Between that and and obviously all, we have to forget about. I know there's NHL games on right now, but there are some teams who have yet to play because some of their games have been postponed. I'm still really curious how if the Winter Classic even goes on this this coming weekend. So yeah, they intend yeah, to do I, that full fans, eh? Good luck with that, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if if they're able to do it, all power to them. They, they have the regulations that they have, but I I have no clue how that's going to go. I mean, one COVID case could start a domino effect. Not to start kind of scaring people or fear-mongering, I can understand that, but we, we live in times where the situations are very fluid. We were chilling one day thinking everything was going to be fine, and then Omnicron, or Omarion, as a lot of people like to Omaria. call the variant now. Now By they're the way, trying to make it out. sound black. 
Yeah. Not even blame everything black. on black people, Julian. Do you know the artist Omarion? I figure you do. Yeah. Yeah, that's just not even just making it. I mean, I don't even think that's white people doing that. I think that's us. Because okay, cause okay, then it's here's okay. The thing. Here's the thing, man. Like, I, one thing I've learned, uh, just going through 27 years of life and all the BS that you go through, uh, living while black. A lot of times, humor is a good way to kind of cope with it. So, 100%. so um, the Amarion variant, as it is, that is. Do, you don't you dare be taking credit for that because I know damn well there ain't too many white people on the chat right now who know who B2K and Omarion are. Omarion hasn't mm. been this popping since he had that song with Chris Brown and uh, Janae Iko a few years ago. That's that that's he, that dude. As far as I'm concerned, now I get people might be thinking, man, we can't be making light of of the variant, but sometimes we just have to find a way to laugh. But that dude, 100%. I'm sure there are there I'm sure there are people who are going through his catalog right now. And Omarion just sitting back, just being like. Well, at least I'll make something out of this. At least. <laughs> at least. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I also don't want to make light of it. I mean, I've got it right now, but I feel like for most people, they're vaccinated. At the end of the day, it's not the worst thing in the world. Like, I'm mo- moderately congested. I was way more congested yesterday. I'm tired yeah. as all hell. This is like my third day in it. And I've got like a little bit of aches, but that's about it. I think I'm going to be all right. Like the worst thing, honestly, is just not being able to hang out with my kids over the holidays. The stress is putting on my wife to parent two children alone. You yeah. know, that's that's rough. But uh, yeah, overall, I think that uh, for most people, this this variant is so contagious. Like we've had no contact pretty much this entire holiday season. So like it must have come from daycare. But like both my kids tested negative, so I don't know what's going on. But it it just seems like one tiny mistake or one, you know, not even mistake, you know, like it's almost impossible to protect yourself at this point unless you've got the third dose. So it's it's rough out there, but at least we're not uh, likely to see the amount of deaths we saw at the beginning. Right. We're better at treating it now. And to those who say like the NHLers should be able to like not be tested if they're not symptomatic. Here's the thing though. A lot of those NHLers have kids who can't be vaccinated, you know? So this uh, variant is less severe for vaccinated people, but not for unvaxxed people. It's less severe than Delta, but not less severe than like the original variant. So like, let's not kid ourselves that there's still some danger here. We still got to be careful, but uh, we got one amazing question in here from Gran- Graham Renfro says, cool. who wins CJ calling someone a juggernaut juggernaut or Berkshire's game over for curses. I got to tell you, CJ's first juggernaut pronunciation was the Montreal Canadiens. They went to the Stanley cup final. So not actually a curse all the time. I not say that curse. all the time. They worked for the Montreal Canadiens. They went to a Stanley Cup final. The only reason why people are giving it the negative stereotype that it that it got is because he said it for the Leafs as well, and the Leafs did what they did. That's the only reason why Juggernaut has the bad connotation that it has. Don't let big Toronto media fool you into thinking <laughs> that Juggernaut is a bad word. Juggernaut is actually a decent word. It's not a bad word, and it's not something that people should be afraid of. You should be a Juggernaut. You should be a 
able to be a dominant person and be able to take advantage when situations come and not choke when you have a 3-1 lead in a series that you should be winning going away. That's on you to do. I don't know why you all complained about it. It's just That's just how it is. So I, I, I get you got to understand that big Toronto media, those are the people who are going to make you think that juggernaut is a bad word. I'm here to tell you, as someone not in big Toronto media, despite what some people may think, it is not a bad word. Yeah, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. CJ did not invent the curse that ails the Toronto Maple Leafs. That predates him by a long stretch. So that's how that's Harold Ballard. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's it's been a long time here, but I, I got it before we go any further in this. I got to thank everybody who's tuning in here, because at this point, like you got to be so hardcore to be tuning into this show. Uh, I really appreciate every single one of you. And I said this for Game Over Juniors as well, but like this has been a crazy year uh, for hockey and for me launching this show. Obviously, we did not anticipate the Canadians being this bad, but you know we're having fun anyway. We're we're fighting through illness and injury, just like the Canadians are, to bring you something fun to talk about. Uh, I don't know. It's just. I feel like we've got to talk about something other than the game to give some people some entertainment because uh, this one was not very interesting. I guess I'll say, I thought Sam Montembeau has been getting better. Uh, I, th- I think he falls apart kind of at the end of games a little bit, yeah. I find. M- maybe just that he's like, uh, he gets tired because the game means don't help him out that much, <laughs> to be frank. No, but, no uh, the I team in like, front of him is bad. Yeah, his he's been all right. You know, I, not great, but it's something. Uh, somebody says, talk about Edmonton. I talk about something a little bit less depressing than the Edmonton Oilers who are once again, sorry, crap in the bed with two of the most elite players in like the history of the game running. Can I get your thoughts on something? Actually, I just had something that came across my mind while watching the game. And it's something that I realized that a lot of people, especially like when I listen to TSN broadcasts in particular, they like to prop this up. And it's something that I've thought about for a while with this particular player. Maybe this is a hot take. Maybe it isn't. A lot of people like to make a big deal about how Alexander Romanov makes these hits and how he leads the team in hits. And I, I, I'm, I think that being able to be physical and being able to hit can be a cool thing. But from whatever basic knowledge of hockey I have, nine times out of ten, if you're hitting somebody, you don't have the puck. And I'm also wondering, how many times does Alexander Romanov hit somebody and get the puck back? What's more impressive to me with Alexander Romanov, and he actually did this. Uh, he tried to do this today. He tried to skate up the wing and tried to feed someone in the slot with a puck, and he's done that before. I find Alexander Romanov more impressive when he's trying to carry the puck and he's actually trying to create offense. I think the physical nature of his game, I understand it's something that he has worked very hard on, and I think it's still it's still warranted to be a physically imposing guy in the National Hockey League, but but the way that we look at games now and the way that, and I guess maybe that's this is a take that's probably more inclined towards the fancy stats people, but like if Alexander Romanov is just hitting people willy-nilly and it's not resulting in turnovers and it's not resulting in, in him getting the puck back, and I'm just saying this off the fact that I don't really know how much that has translated into that. Like I, I think we have to be careful with how much we hype up those hits, and I'm willing to be proven wrong. I'm willing for you know what jay fresh or rachel dory or, or or somebody else uh evolving hockey is someone to make the point that like hey it turns out that when alexander manov makes hits uh he is able to get possession and he's able to lead breakouts but 
off the eye test. I can't think of too many times where that has happened. So it just, for me, I'm more impressed by Alexander Romanov when he is able to try to break out of his zone or he's able to just handle the puck and try to start offense. Because in, in little glimpses, I, I think he could do it. It's just, it's just a part of his game that just, I guess, isn't as ready as it could be for the National Hockey League yet, or he's not doing it often enough. But also because of the hits that he's done, it's overshadowed by that. Yeah, I'm... I don't have access to those private data companies anymore that uh, can give me some ideas of how much shout Romanov out the actually... private data companies. <laughs> they can give me an idea of how much Romanov is actually uh, recovering the puck. I would assume he's better than he has been uh, in like than last year or especially sure. last year. And I'm willing, year. I'm willing to, and I'm willing to be like, Hey, you know what? That it actually is the case. I just would like to know that question yeah, because I think a, we put up a, it's a big deal on the hits, but like, if it's just a hitting a guy and you're not getting the puck, like, I think that comes it's, from it's, like a lot of the people who comment on the sport on the broadcast are a certain age, right? They're yeah. that like uh boomer to gen X, like old gen X age. And those people grew up watching like Scott Stevens, just murder people at the blue line. And that was like a huge part of the game because that fear that you could get murked in the middle of a game created hesitation. And there's some element to that in the NHL still today, but like, I feel like you have to do that kind of style for so long and actually to actually develop that reputation that I'm not sure if you ever actually see the benefit of it. If you know what I mean? Like we remember when PK Subban broke in and he would, try those flying ass hits every once in a while, the bee sting, right? And he clipped oh, Marshawn yeah. <laughs> with it, and it's like the greatest hit in the last 50 years in Montreal Canadiens People history. play that over and over oh, still. It's fantastic, and it's even better when the fact that like as he hits Marshawn, the audio cuts out of the broadcast, so it's like yeah, there's it a does. sonic boom that like destroyed the mics in the arena. It's fantastic, and it's it's great. It, it makes for amazing highlights. You know, even Romanov earlier this year when he tried to line up, I think Landeskog, and ended up hitting yeah. Paling. Was it? Uh, yeah, he hit Paling, and he ended up cutting his own face. And I think it was I don't think his it was visor Landeskog. came I think down. He hit, yeah, I think it was Kale McCarry was trying to hit, but I might be forgetting. But like the work, it's the craziest thing. It's he lined up a hit on somebody else ends up hitting his own teammate, but it's Romanov who gets the worst of it. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's fun highlights, but again, it's like how much impact does it have on the game? I'd say a little, and you're right. Like the more we focus on that, I think the worse it is for Romanov's development, because if he is getting that feedback, I mean, I guess not really for us, right? For, I don't know how much players listen to the media or like what people like about their games, but if the coaches are I'm focused sure on do. that, yeah, depends on the player, right? Like some guys read everything. And some guys can kind of tune it out a little bit better. But uh, if the coaches are focusing on the hits and they're saying like, oh, you got to make these big hits over and over again, I think you're going to see more situations where Romanov tries to get a guy but ignores the puck and then the puck is behind him, right? And when you're defending, that's just not a good situation. It's not a good situation for your partner either. And there's a reason why, like, for example, P.K. Subban kind of cut those hits out of his game relatively yeah. early. It was like right after his rookie season, he calmed that down and became a much better player. Romanov obviously doesn't have that ceiling, but he can be a much better player than he was last year. And I think we're seeing a lot of development this year. Like I've been arguing that this is almost the best situation possible for Romanov's development because he's just getting reps like crazy. Right. And there's not Played like 26 minutes on Tuesday. I yeah. Believe. TSN put that up almost 27 minutes. 
So big year for him. I'm interested to see how far he can take his development because, again, he's a guy that I just haven't been sold on so far just because I don't see the high-level skills being developed. But it'd be really nice to see him get there. I mean, I think the Canadians would really uh, benefit from Romanov maxing out his talent level just because they need guys on D. They have some decent D prospects, but they need high-level guys and a fair amount of them because their D core is old. Yeah, it, 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 you make a really good point, too, with the fact that uh, the defenders that are on the Montreal Canadiens right now, uh, fortunately, they, a lot of them are being asked to play roles elevated from them. Like David Savard probably the worst example of all of them in terms of the fact that he is typically like a number four, number five, maybe even number six defenseman on most teams. But he's playing top four minutes and he's I mean, I get it. He's playing above what he should be playing. But there's been moments where he's just looked like not up to speed. And at least for a guy like Romanov, at least earlier in the year, he was trying to find his footing. But then after he got benched, uh, it got better for him. But there are guys, there are veteran guys like David Savard, who I, I get it. He got the he he got the play, he got the goal like on Tuesday night against the Lightning. He looked good in that game. But there's been other moments this year where he's getting caught flat-footed. He got caught out of position on the the power play goal from Taro Teravainen. I think of the second period where the the way they were looking on the penalty kill just just really badly out of shape. Uh, TSN 690s on JP O'Connor tried to make the point that the goal that was scored uh, on that particular play that I'm trying to visualize for everybody a bit similar to a goal they allowed on Tuesday night where they were on the they were on the penalty kill the Canadians were. I think it was Ross Colton who scored uh, from one of the flank sides. And even that, like the Canadians, like they, the gap control, I guess, wasn't great, but at least they were a solid formation. The Canadians, just the defense, just the way that they look, their positioning is just not good. And like, I, I you know, Rick Green, obviously, uh, when we when you're able to guest on, on Hockey Inside Out with Montreal Gazette. And so many times, I mean, he's a guy who's played defense in the National Hockey League. He knows a thing or two about losing as well as he played on the worst team ever in the Washington Capitals. You like uh, to bring that up number- as often as possible. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, he's he's a good sport about it, but he makes so many comments about how bad the defense is in terms of positioning and the space that they give up on, on so many opposing guys. And like, it's one thing to be playing out of your playing out of your depth and and playing elevated roles. But I think there's some basic things like trying to lock down guys and just basic foot, like just, you know, being able to limit the space you give a guy or not leave a guy, a guy wide open that the Canadians defense has not been able to do foot speed. I mean, a guy is as fast as they can be. I guess that's one thing, but when you're in a situation where guys are open on defense and when you're and you're as a defender and you're not able to close those gaps, I mean, what is that on the player? Is that on coaching? Is that on the structure? Like there's a lot of questions that need to be asked. Yeah. I feel like that's the thing is like, you kind of need all of them. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. frankly, tonight Canadians could have been worse. The Panthers put up nine on the lightning. No. Yeah. Are you serious? Nine, three. The Panthers just rocked them. That is a statement game. I know the lightning are not the lightning right now, and it's not Andre Vasilevsky, but that is just mean. That's bag skate the next day. Yeah, I will say this. That's unacceptable. We talked about how the Hurricanes basically won this game on special teams and how the Canadians were pretty decent at five on five. At five on five, and 
caveat, some of this is going to be score effects. The Canadians controlled 64% of expected goals. So, like, again, the effort was there. And, like, credit to the young kids who are overmatched, who are pushing things the right way. And I think that it's hard to wring positives out of this season, but one of the things that is super interesting to me down the stretch is seeing the Canadians evaluate these young players and seeing the new management structure and new management group figure out who's important and who needs to go and who can maybe grow into a bigger role. I think there's huge opportunities here that probably wouldn't have existed for players like Vejdemo and uh, Harvey Pinard. Like there's some big opportunities here and that's kind of fun. That's something to pay attention to. The only thing is you got to be okay with watching a lot more losses. And uh, sadly, that's, I mean, how many more games we got? This is game 33. So, so like 40, 49, uh, 49, essentially. Oh, just a little bit more on some of those younger players too. Uh, I'll throw Kale Clagg in that too. I still need to get his mm-hmm. pronunciation down. I've heard people say Clagg or uh, TSN says Clegg. They also say Romanov when it's Romanov. Anyway, we got to get some of these pronunciation guides down. I got to be up to speed on that. But I thought over the last few games, Kale has looked pretty good. I think the fact that he's been able to kind of d- just hold on to the puck and try to, you know, try to make something happen. He got a goal on Tuesday night, I think, or at least was participate as part of the offense against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like that's a that's a very good sign. Uh, Harvey Pinard has fit in pretty well, and that's a guy who might be able to provide energy. I think he he might need more seasoning in the AHL, but that's a guy who I have to admit, uh, maybe. <coughs> oh, excuse me, sorry. Maybe more time in the NHL coming. There we go. Just coughing. Here um, we go. <laughs> Michael, Piz- Michael Pizzetta as well. I mean, I know he's been there from time, but that's a guy who I seriously just off the games. I've seen him play in the AHL and things he was doing there and the way the Canadians lineup looked uh, once upon a time. I seriously thought this dude, his ceiling was an AHL player. And at least on this version of the Canadians roster, he's at least trying to find a way to stick around and at least try to, if he can just be a tweener, where you could put him in the lineup, you can get energy out of him for a couple of games. I don't think that's a bad place to end up for a guy like Michael Pizzetta. Ryan Paling, even though he's not like scoring all the time, he's not putting up points, but he's looked so comfortable. He's done decent things defensively as well. Uh, that's another guy who deserves uh, some praise for, for different points of the year. Like I, I think more so Tuesday than Thursday. Uh, Jesse Ullinen as well, uh, I think, has also shown some good stuff as well. I think, especially on Tuesday night compared to, to tonight, a lot of those younger players showed a lot of, of good play, a lot of good stretches of play. And again, they went up against a Tampa Bay Lightning team that, yes, they were missing some bodies, but a lot of the bodies they had, their championship caliber. And a lot of the young players they're inserting into the lineup are pretty good too. Ross Colton has been a part of their system for a while and he scored the other night. He also scored in, in the Stanley Cup final as well last summer. Like it's, this is a Tampa Bay lightning team that has been able to plug and play guys who've just been able to fill in their role. So I, I, I think even though they lost that game in overtime on Tuesday, like that's something that a lot of those guys can at least hang their, you know, they can, they can be proud of the fact that they were able to get a result. They're able to get a point in that game against the lightning Thursday though, just the, <laughs> That's not good. It's not good. Not the best. I mean, being unable to close out games has been an issue all season, right? And with the guys that they have out, it makes sense that sometimes they slip up. With the goaltenders they're playing, you know, we talked about how much better Montembeau has been, but that Corey Perry goal should not have happened. (laughs) 
mean, no. frankly, for an NHL goaltender, you're not going to take like a minute and a half to get up after you make a save. <laughs> Sorry, Sam, no. but uh, it, w- it wasn't great. But uh, yeah, but, okay, before we go, this is going to be the last thing that we're going to talk about, and then we're going to cut it short here because we're both exhausted and under the I weather. thought this was running a lot longer than I thought it was going to. Yeah, to I know, right? We thought we were going to cut it after like it's 20 fun, minutes. Though. It has been. It's always fun with you, my friend. Uh, what was I going to bring up now? I've got the COVID brain fog. This is a tough game to watch and like figure out because I'm a few like a cut, I missed the last game. Right. And then we had that big break. Canadians. All these guys went on the COVID list, all these injuries. And I'm coming back and I'm like, who's 64? Who's 81? Oh, my God. What is this guy's name? And I'm like, Marcel Hosa, Lars Eller. <laughs> it took me three periods to realize that number 81 was Brandon Baddock. And I also didn't realize he was making his NHL debut. I feel like he's been bouncing around NHL franchises for at least like three, four years. Yeah, he's like the big fighter guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the one thing I wanted to talk about before we head out is uh, Cedric Paquette. Everybody hates this guy. And I feel so bad for him because, frankly, he's not playing like a really uh, important role or anything but his underlying numbers are actually very strong and he had a decent game in this game and like yes he did not bury his chances because he's Cedric Paquette he's not you know Cole Caulfield who also is not burying his chances so that's a bad example he's not Tyler Toffoli he's not Brendan Gallagher he's not Josh Anderson he said your packet, but as a fourth line guy, I feel like his biggest issue is taking bad penalties. Right. But yes, when he's he on, lot. Yeah, he does. And that's an issue. It's a serious issue. But when he's on the ice, he's not that bad. He's not that bad. People think I he's like question. the worst guy in the league. I think he's fine. He just takes too many penalties. I have a question though. Yeah. Considering the way that he's played for the Montreal Canadiens so far, could Ryan Paling not do a better job in that spot? In the limited amount of time that Lucas Vademo has been playing, even going back to points where he got to play before the pandemic roared. Yeah. We're trying I mean, to tell that me is... Cedric Paquette is that much better than Lucas Vademo. Here's the thing. Cedric Paquette is a fourth line guy. He's a guy who his big thing is, is trying to win faceoffs. And, you know, as a fourth line guy, you're not expecting him to put up points every single night that he plays. If he's able to chip in with a point, maybe every two or three games, that's pretty cool. But I and and I don't know the underlying numbers off top. I haven't seen them, but I don't know if he's played so well in the role that he's in that he's worth putting up constantly above a younger player like no. Ryan Paling, especially with the way that he's been playing right now. And I think that's where and of course, uh the fact that he's missed so many chances, the fact he's taken so many penalties, not just tonight, but just at different points in the year, like that's a source of frustration for a lot of people. I don't even know if he has a point this season. I don't, I don't remember if he does. I'm going to just double check that real quick, but I, he might have a point. He might not have a point. He doesn't have that many points. Uh, he has one assist. Many games this year. Okay. He has one assist through Which like, was what, like last game, last game. Yeah. So 18 games, one assist. Like, yeah, yeah like yes, his, his underlying numbers might be good, but uh, I, I don't know if he's necessarily been so great where it's worth putting him in the lineup as at the expense of, and I know Ryan Paling's playing, but why not put Ryan Paling as a fourth line center, for example, why not put somebody else there? I think that's the operative question, right? It's not whether or not he's bad because I don't think he has been bad. I think that's, I think it's the dogging on him that I think is unfair, but is he good enough? 
that you shouldn't be using his roster spot as a development spot in this season? No. I think that he's good enough to fill a spot and not and doesn't deserve to be like trashed all the time. And that's like my main point there is that he's not a huge negative for the team outside of the penalties, which is a serious thing. But overall, yes, he should be out of the lineup if they have the ability to ice a full lineup and get some prospects in there right now. I mean, they can't afford to take anybody out of the lineup. I will say this about Cedric Pocket. Because of the fact that he's not making that much money, he should be making either vet minimum or just barely above the vet minimum. He's a fourth line guy. I get why people are frustrated, but there are definitely more guys on this team. Yol or Mia, sorry, buddy, who yeah. deserve more criticism for their lack of good play. Yol or Mia, I think more than anybody, and he has a target on his back, and he should have a target on his back because he signed a contract in the offseason. And low key that might look like the worst move they've made of all the moves or they let go of a lot of guys. Uh, I guess in terms of signings, you could make an argument that the Canadian signing of Yoel Armia to an extension might have been the worst move they made. I know he's a bottom six guy, but they were, they were building basically gave him, giving him that money off the play that he showed in the playoffs. Cause everything before then, I don't not sure how much confidence he really inspired. I get, he, is a big dude, physical dude, able to play uh, PK minutes. But uh, I, I think this guy, as, as a bottom six four, I think a lot of people were left expecting more from UL Armia. And I think now he's he's disappeared way more than than I think and in other seasons he's played for the Montreal Kings. I think he's been one of the bigger disappointments. There have been other guys who've been disappointing, but UL Armia deserves more criticism than Cedric Pocket, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I don't. He's not in the lineup right now, so that's. Right. I'm not, and I know he's not in the lineup now, but like before that, yes, he's he been terrible doing that. Well, he's been, yeah, bad. I mean, the, the thing with uh, Armia is he's always been really inconsistent, but he like brings things that are valuable, like puck retrieval. He's been a good special teams guy this year, disaster on special teams, uh, really bad defensively, which is very weird for him. And his offense has been non existent as well. So it's just been like, what exactly do you do here, Yoel? So you made the money and what are you doing? Yeah. No disrespect. It's been a rough one. That's the questions that have to be asked. Absolutely. And feet to the fire. I don't know why they signed that deal. Like I said at the time, it was a huge mistake to go. Like that's an issue that of Mark Bergevin's entire tenure. One of the first things he did when he came to the Montreal Canadiens was sign four year contracts for Brandon Prust and Travis Moen. Neither guy finished out those contracts as Montreal Canadiens because they got bad real fast. You don't sign fourth liners long-term. And what did he do? One of the last things he did is sign a fourth liner, which UL Armia is. I know he can move up and down the lineup, but ideally he is a luxury fourth liner. A four-year contract at way more money than you should ever pay a fourth, fourth liner, which, as it happens, is the same thing they did with Paul Byron, who, again, ideally is a luxury fourth liner. That's just the way but it at is. Least with Paul Byer, but at least with Paul Byron... You can count on him to score. Oh, yeah. I don't have the goals in front of me, but he could score goals. At, and not just in the regular season. He scored goals in the playoffs, too. Like Byron's a, a better kind of, he's a better utility player than our Armia is. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up before we get too uh, into talking about dogging on different guys here. Uh, thanks, everyone, Jeez. for tuning in. We went way longer than we expected to because both of us are not feeling it right now. And it was a boring game. But thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks, Julian, for doing this with me. You're the best, my friend. Uh, 
you're the best too my man take i don't care even need yourself. to ask Stay you safe. to tell people where to find your stuff because i got it i got it memorized you're on wait before i say something before you Every get to that uh, <laughs> go for uh, it go for brand, it brand new plus minus column on the athletic should be coming out at some point tomorrow normally i'd try to get them done like late in the night on the thursday but because i'm not feeling at 100 percent I'm going to rest up and try to get it done at some point tomorrow, but uh, I'm going to try to see who's a plus, who's a minus out of the, uh, the Canadians, these last two games. Not very many pluses. I'm gonna, well, I guess actually, if you're going, uh, there's going to be a there's few gonna pluses. Be a pluses. If we're going to, there's going to be some minuses too. Yeah, for sure. All right. So yeah, check out obviously the CJ show on this very YouTube channel that you should subscribe to like this video, like all of the CJ shows videos, check out uh, the zone time podcast. The Athletic, I mean, sometimes he's on The Athletic Show, The Hockey Inside Out Show on YouTube and at the Montreal Gazette. Julian's everywhere, and, uh, you know, frankly, so am I. We're, we're both uh, slingers all over the place these days. But, of That's course, it, here is the best place, the SDPN YouTube channel, where all the action happens. Yeah, man, I get to hear Steve Dangle yell about the Leafs. Who wouldn't <laughs> want to hear that? Exactly. All right, and also Adam Wilde say balls. It's the best thing about it. <laughs> Why did you post that photo of him? <laughs> I just I saw it and I had to post it. If you haven't seen it, you can check out my Twitter or the SDPN Discord. You're evil, bro. Oh, I know. I'm awful. But he loves it, so it's all good. All right. We'll see you on Saturday for an afternoon game where hopefully oh, I'll be boy. feeling a little bit better.